You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Thank you so much for your support of our Calvary Cares campaign. And next week, we're going to be sharing one more update with the Pittsburgh Dream Center and uh, as we close out our 2022 projects. And uh, next month in February, each week, you're going to get to hear the new projects that we're going to be uh, presenting for 2023. I'm so excited for you guys to get to hear them. It's just amazing partnerships that we get to do this year. And uh, today, this morning, we're, we're continuing a series we started called uh, A Church Without Walls. And uh, this is something that's so passionate, near and dear to our heart as a church, to my heart, that we don't want to be a church that simply gathers. We want to be a church that goes. We want to be a church that takes what God is doing here outside of our walls, into our community. And, uh, and uh, if you weren't with us the last couple of weeks, man, you can listen to our messages on our YouTube channel, youtube.calvaryowen.com, or the podcast, you can subscribe. And uh, I believe God is doing something special. And I hope what he's doing doesn't, uh, isn't contained to this place or this property. I hope what he's doing can spread across this region, across this community. That's our heartbeat. Um, in, in the summer of, uh, of 2020, uh, I don't know what it looked like for you. We, at that point, had three kids. And, uh, you know, kids can be restless, and we want to get them out and not just, like, contain them in our house. And it was a beautiful summer. I don't know if you remember that. It was, like, the most gorgeous summer uh, I can remember. Not a lot of rain. And uh, all the stuff we normally would do with our kids, going to Idlewild or to a museum, all of that was shut down. So we're trying to figure out, like, what can we do with our kids? They're stir-crazy. We want to get out. We want to do something and make the most of this time. So we started to do some certain traditions to try to make it a special time. So Friday nights, we would do movie nights. Uh, Heidi, my wife, started to make some of the best homemade ice cream. We had this ice cream machine that we got when we were married. Um, we were married in 2011. So you can see, you know, all the way to 2020, never came out of the box. Relocated to three different homes, never came out of the box. But 2020 did it. That's what it took. And she made some of the best homemade ice cream. And one of the things we started doing was every Saturday we would go hiking. We'd find like a local park, Braddock's Trail here in North Huntington or, or uh, different trails around. And we'd go hiking. And man, some of the best memories on those hikes. We got lost one time. I, I don't know where we were. I had no cell phone coverage. We had three kids. My son had like walked into a creek and his socks were wet and he's whining and crying and we didn't know where we were and, and we found a road and followed the road back to our car. And it was a fun time, incredible memory. We had some of the best memories. And one of the things we would do on a lot of those hikes is we'd ha- to ask the kids, hey, look for signs that an animal has been here. You know, maybe it's a, a, a footprint or a hoof print. Maybe it's, you know, something on a tree or a marking. Like, look for uh, uh, something that, that shows an animal's here. And when we'd find it, we'd ask, like, what do you think that was? What do you think that, you know, that footprint or paw print or hoof print is? Or, or what do you think? Do you think those holes in, the, in that tree are from a woodpecker? Or, or, or do you think maybe, you know, this paw print is from a, a coyote? Or maybe it's a hoof print from a deer? Like, what do you think uh, this is from? And, you know, so I did a little research on on tracking animals, and it's so unique. There are a lot of different traits that uh, help us identify when you see a footprint, when you see a hoof print, when you see a marking or something. Uh, most people who are trained in this, they can actually identify exactly what animal that is. And, and the, the, the main five things they, they look at are the width and the length of the, of the print, whatever it might be, 
Uh, the number of toes that are on that print, how, how deep it is, which shows how heavy it is, uh, whether it has you know, front and rear prints that are different or the same, like with a rabbit or something like that, or, uh, and the stride of the prints. And with the help of all of these different traits, uh, you can actually figure out, hey, this is a rabbit, and sometimes even the type of rabbit, or this is a deer, or this is a, you know, a bear, or this is a, you know, whatever, this is you know, a, 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 a poodle, <clears throat> You know, there's a poodle running through the woods or whatever it might be. Like you can figure out what it is. It's because every animal has this like recognizable footprint, which is so neat. Now, as human beings, our uniqueness isn't really tied to our footprint as much as it is our fingerprint. Like our fingerprints are so unique to us. In fact, with your unique fingerprint, if you have an iPhone or a different smartphone, you can open your phone or with your fingerprint, you can like walk into sometimes like restricted rooms or, or buildings if you're allowed, like not just randomly, but if you're allowed, like you can walk in with your fingerprint. Uh, it's pretty remarkable when you think about the ability to do this, especially considering the fact there are over 7.8 billion people in the world today. And every single one of those 7.8 billion people have a unique, identifiable fingerprint. Like there's not one that's the same. Think about how amazing that is. Now, there's, no, there's one way to keep your fingerprint from ever being detected. And it's the same way that an animal uh, can actually manage to never leave a paw print or hoof print in the woods. Uh, do you know what that, that one way is? Uh, if the animal never moves, they'll never leave a footprint. If, if, you, if you never do anything, never do a thing, you'll never leave a fingerprint. It's because outside of being a human being, the prerequisite for leaving a fingerprint is always action. <clears throat> like you have to do something. Without an action where your finger touches something, you'll never leave a fingerprint on a surface or on, a dev on, on a, uh, uh, an object. Now, th think about this, uh, how this applies to us collectively as a church, okay? Th think about this idea as a church. Over the course of the last 2,000 years, well, one of the ways the mission of the global church has often drifted is it's taken on more of a passive existence. What I mean by that as a passive existence is this, that, that the church becomes something you attend, something you simply receive from, you know, something that really exists just to enrich you. So you feel better, you feel smarter, you feel more enlightened or inspired. And I'm not saying that like, those are bad necessarily, but in the end, that's not the goal of the church. It's not the goal of this idea and this concept of the church. And I've often heard people make complaints about churches and how, hey, I'm not being fed there, or man, that church doesn't help me grow. And before I say what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to step on toes, just take for what it's worth. Uh, if you're offended by this, I, I apologize. But saying that I'm not being fed there or, Oh, no, that church doesn't help me grow. It's kind of like saying to a grown adult, I'm not being nourished because no one is feeding me what's on my plate. You see, the church isn't a place that's simply here to build you up. It's a place to equip you, ultimately, to make the unmistakable, unique fingerprint of God on this world. That, that's why we're here. We're not just here to enrich you and make you feel better or, or to, to give you head knowledge. Hopefully you get that, but the goal of that, it's a means, is not the end. The end is that we can leave the fingerprint of God in this world. And, and here's a simple thought I want to share with you today. Uh, for those, you know, here in person watching online in our warming shelters this morning, this is a simple idea. The unmistakable trait of a follower of Jesus isn't the faith we hold to, but the faith we practice. 
No one looks at you and says you're a follower of Jesus just because you're holding on to a certain amount of faith. It's what you put into practice. What I mean is that I'm not uh, an athlete just because I hold on to a baseball bat or a basketball. Just because I'm walking around with you know, some kind of ball or sport uh, equipment, athletic equipment, like, doesn't mean I'm an athlete. No, an athlete is someone who knows how to properly use those tools and items and make something with it, do something with it. And the same is true with our faith. Your faith isn't really faith if you're not acting on it, right? Like, like the idea of faith, the concept of faith, demands that we do something with it. Now, let me explain what I mean with the words of Jesus' half-brother, a guy by the name of James. James was the pastor of the very first church ever to exist in the Jewish city of Jerusalem. And in a letter he wrote that we call, we refer to as an epistle, which is a letter written by an apostle, uh, he's addressing this common occurrence that happened with Jews in the first century that was bleeding into these new followers of Jesus and how they were responding to faith. It's something we can all struggle with. It's allowing our faith to be something we hold on to, but not something we live out. Here, here's what he wrote. It's recorded in James chapter 2, verse 14. He said this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? I want to say that last question again. This is a, such an incredible question that James asks. Can such faith save them? Now, what's James talking about? He's trying to get at, like, what kind of faith saves us? Like, what is it really that transforms us? What kind of faith actually saves us? And, and what he writes would, would later be kind of fleshed out. So uh, this letter that James wrote was written somewhere around 30, 40 uh, AD. Uh, about 20 years later, around 60, 62 AD, uh, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the, to the church in, in Ephesus. And uh, as he writes this letter, he's kind of building on what James uh, writes here. And here's what Paul writes. It's recorded in James or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God. Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, if you take this, it almost seems like he's contradicting James. Like, James is saying, uh, you know, if, if there's no action, like, what kind of faith is it that saves you? And, and, and Paul's saying, it's by faith that you're saved. It's not by works. So what, what's the idea here? Paul is saying that you are, we are saved through faith. James is saying that there is a certain type of faith that saves us. James says it's not simply holding on to faith, but having a faith, ultimately, that has fruit. A faith that is active. A faith that is producing something. And Paul hints at this in the very next verse, in verse 10 of Ephesians 2. Here's what he says. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? What's it say there? To do good works. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Okay, and he goes on. He says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like, God in his master plan has these good works. He has this stuff plan. I love what Pastor Michael shared. Like, that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb for a purpose. God has equipped you. He's wired you. He's gifted you. Why? Because he has good works planned in advance for you. Like, he's wired you. He made you that way. Now, if taken out of context, it could be very easy to think that our salvation is something we experience because of our good works. Like, like it's something that we have to earn and prove ourselves. 
Or, or, or as the popular saying goes, that you fake it till you make it. Like if you just do the right thing, eventually it'll happen. But, but that's not what either James or Paul are, are, are saying here. Paul says here what James is trying to explain as well. We are God's handiwork, that you were created to do good, to do good works. And the natural expression of faith in Jesus should be to do a good for those around us. To not simply hold to our faith, but to practice our faith. And to not do so causes us to be a shell of what we were created to be. I love what, what Scott shared earlier, like our faith, even the size of a mustard seed, can do some remarkable things. Why hold on to that and not do something with it? Think, think of it this way. I don't know if any of you are following the news. Yesterday, there was a Mega Millions jackpot. Um, don't raise your hand if you want it. Just talk to me afterward. <laughs> the jackpot was $1.35 billion. The payout for that is $770 million. That's crazy. That's a lot of money. Now, imagine with me, you win, okay? After you gave your tithe to the church, 10%, okay? <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, we could do some incredible things in this community with that tithe, that 10%. I tell you what, it would be remarkable. This place would never know what hit them. It'd be incredible. After you did that, imagine with me, you decided you're gonna get yourself a nice car. So you go out and you buy a Lamborghini Aventador. Here it is. Look at that thing. Look at that car. It costs $546,000. That's the base. It's probably more than that. Over half a million dollars on a car, okay? Now, give you some context. This is a V12 engine. It has 769 horsepower. To give you context, an F-250, like a big truck, not a little F-150, like a big F-250, usually has between four and 500 horsepower. This has 769 horsepower. It can go zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds. You can barely breathe in 2.9 seconds, and it's already hitting 60. It has a top speed of 217 miles an hour. This is a rock star of a race car. Okay, now imagine you take your 770 million, you give your 10% to the church, okay, we got that out of the way, and, and then you go and drop half a million dollars on this incredible Lamborghini, Aventador, this beautiful, brand new race car. And you pull it into your garage, you put a car cover on it, and you leave it there. What a sham would that be? Like, that would be, that'd be horrible. How could you park a Lamborghini with that kind of power and speed in a garage and never touch it. Wouldn't that be a shame? Like, like I would cry tears on the inside and probably on the outside if that, that's what you did. Like, that car wasn't built to sit. It's built to run. And not just to run, but to run fast. Legally. Legally. <laughs> like, that is a remarkable car. What, what a tragedy that would be if you spent half a million dollars in a car just to park it in a garage. And the point that we see James and Paul making here is that God fearfully and wonderfully made you. You are God's handiwork. You're a Lamborghini. You might not feel like it all the time. But man, God has wired you with some remarkable things. And Paul and James are trying to communicate this idea of our faith kind of if we simply park our faith in the garage, or more specifically, if we simply park our faith in a seat on Sunday, but never use it for what it was made for, what, what a waste of that faith. What, what a waste of this remarkable 
transformative, supernatural thing God has infused in our lives. This is what James tries to show in the following verses of James 2, verse 15. Here's what he says. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? We've all done this. Oh, I'm praying for you. It's hard. I'm sorry. Praying for you. We don't do anything. What's James trying to say? We aren't people who simply say things. We are people who do things. What do you mean we? Followers of Jesus. We are people of action. We are people who are in the mess, in the middle of the mess, who are saying, I'm gonna figure this out. We're gonna be part of the solution. Can we fix it all on our own? No, we don't have that big of an ego. We're saying that there's a God who can, and I just wanna do my small part. That's what we are called to do. That's who we're called to be. That's what James is trying to say. He's saying, when he asks, what good is it? He's literally asking, of what benefit is that kind of faith? Why spend half a million dollars on a Lamborghini and stick it in a garage? Like, why would you do that? Or, or think of it this way. If, if I had these two apples, one is real and one is fake, how are you gonna know which one's real and which one's fake unless you do something with it? Like, if you just look at it, how are you gonna know, like, that's the fake one, that's the real one? It's not until you do something, it's not until you act upon it, it's not until you take a bite of one that you figure out which one's real and which one's fake. One produces one produces something that's real and one produces something that's just an imitation. This is what James is trying to say. You can't identify true, genuine faith unless action is tied to it, unless you act upon it. And he goes on, verse 17. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Man, those are some strong words. Faith, if not accompanied by action, is dead. What does that mean? That means that true faith isn't faith you can just turn on and off. Like true faith isn't just something you do on a Sunday and then go about your regular life the rest of the week. True faith should be pervasive. It should be in every part of our life. Like true faith isn't something you just compartmentalize. You have like your Tupperware containers inside of you and you're like, that's my church self. That's my other self, the real self. No, no, faith should, should be pervasive through it all. Like true faith should be accompanied by action. That's what he's trying to say. And he goes on. He said, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. How can you show faith without deeds? Really, that's what he's trying to get at. How can you know that's the real deal? We've all been there in middle school where that kid's like, yeah, my dad owns a Lamborghini. He's also, you know, uh, a professional athlete. He, he flies around the country like, okay, you're making stuff up now. And you don't believe them until they show you, right? And, and that's the same with us. If you have real faith, then how? How can you show your faith without deeds, without action? It's not that action gets you the faith. Action shows that you have that faith. This is what Paul and James are trying to say. What James is really saying is that the unmistakable trait of a follower of Jesus isn't the faith we hold to, it's the faith that we practice. That is the unmistakable trait of a follower of Jesus. In fact, Jesus even says this. He's talking to his disciples in John 13 and he's trying to explain like this kingdom 
that he's gonna talk about. And we, we talked about this last month, but this kingdom that he was establishing and what it means to be part of the kingdom and how do you identify people that are part of that kingdom. And in John 13, verse 35, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you carry a Bible, if you wear that Christian t-shirt, if you vote the right way, if you pray at the right times with the right words. He doesn't say any of that. He says, but you, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And, and the word love there isn't a noun. Love here is a verb. It's an action point. He didn't say, you will be known as my disciples if you have love for one another. He said, if you love one another. Like, if you act upon your love for one another. It's a, it's a verb. It's, a, it's an action word there. You need to show love. It, it, it is the action of our faith, ultimately, that identifies us. When we, when we pull it out of the garage and we do something with it, when we, when we use it for what it was made for. You know, just like a trained mechanic could immediately recognize a Lamborghini as soon as you hit that gas pedal. They, could, they, they recognize the sound, the roar of the engine. A person should be able to identify a follower of Jesus the moment they see the unmistakable trait of Jesus in your life, of, of faith in your life. James is saying that with your faith in Jesus, you have something that can transform the world around you. We can sit at the coffee shop or a restaurant or in our living room and we can bemoan how horrible our world is and how everything is going to hell in a handbasket and how the whole world's crumbling and it's crashing and this is the worst time ever to be alive and, and everything's happening in our world, or our nation or our community or whatever. Like we can bemoan all of that and, and, and point all of that out. And guess what? Like it doesn't take much to do that. Like that's easy. Jesus hasn't called us to put our faith into things that are easy. He's called us to do the things that are difficult and hard. He's not called us to find the problems. He's called us to work towards solutions. And he's given us the tools. It's his faith. Faith can move mountains. We sang it. Faith can move mountains. This is the faith that we all hold on to, we possess. We can transform a broken world. In fact, multiple times throughout the Gospels, before Jesus would uh, heal someone, he made this statement, this phrase. He would say, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. What's he saying? He's saying that this component of your faith has done a miracle in your life. Yes, Jesus did the miracle, but he partnered with that person's faith. Our faith is, faith is this ingredient that God can use to do the supernatural, to do impossible things, to do things that everyone says can't be done. It's this ingredient of our faith. I don't know if you've ever read in the New Testament, there's this book called Hebrews. Incredible book. Hebrews chapter 11. If you just read that, that chapter, often people refer to it as the, the chapter of faith, the hall of faith. The author of Hebrews just goes through this list of men and women who did impossible, remarkable, unmistakable things in faith. It was their faith. They acted upon their faith. And we have possession of this antidote in our world. We have possession of the solution that our world so desperately needs and doesn't even realize it sometimes. How can we hold on to that? How can we keep that to ourselves? How, how can we just not do something with that? See, the unmistakable trait of your faith isn't seen through the practice of simply coming to church or, or that you wear a cross around your neck or 
or that you own a Bible. Your faith is identified ultimately by what you do with it, how you put your faith into action, how you use it ultimately to impact our world. It's because the unmistakable trait of a follower of Jesus isn't the faith we hold to, but the faith we practice. If I could get, get anything into your heart and your mind this morning, it's we are called to be followers of Jesus, not just by what we believe and hold on to internally. We are called to be followers of Jesus by how we affect the world around us. In church, but also outside of church. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school. How do you interact with your t- kid's teacher? How do you interact with your coworkers? How do you interact with your neighbors? How do you interact with people at the grocery store or a restaurant? How do you interact with people? Because there's this unmistakable trait that walks with you. Are we perfect? By no means. We mess up. We screw up. I get that. Like, we're not expected to be perfect. We're not Jesus. But we're expected to walk with grace and love. We're expected to exemplify this trait of putting our faith in action. So what does it look like to put your faith into practice? It's stepping into the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Like stepping into that. It's something, it's doing something with the gifting and the wiring and the opportunity and the resources that God has entrusted each and every one of us with. And, And the truth is, we will continue to be a church without walls, not by offering all the right programs or outreach efforts in our community. We are a church without walls when the people within our church don't define the faith, their faith simply based on the possession of it, but through the practice of it. If we define our faith simply on our possession of it, man, we are on a path to non-existence. We are on a path toward the death of the church. It's because we aren't a church though whose top priority is our buildings. It's not about what's around us. Our priorities are people. You are the ones that make Calvary what it is. You are the ones that make it a special place. And and I don't wanna just challenge you today uh, with something, but I wanna challenge you to, to do something, to act upon something, to act upon this remarkable faith that you have. As Voltaire and Peter Parker both said, with great power, come great responsibility. Those are like opposite ends of the spectrum. God has given you great faith, ultimately to use, like to transform our world with, to leave this remarkable fingerprint of God upon this world. But but you might be, but, but what are you doing to not just hold on to faith? What are you doing to act upon it? What are you doing to not simply possess your faith, but practice it? And I, I don't wanna just challenge you with this idea. I wanna help you actually do it. I don't want to just like say, hey, you got a good sermon, a good message, I feel better, let's go you know, watch them play off football or go do whatever we're gonna do today. Like, no, I want to help you practice it. I want to help you do it. Because if there's anything we can do as a church, if there's anything I can do or our pastors, our leaders can do as a church, it's to equip you to act on your faith. This is what Paul writes, he said, that we exist to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We want to equip you to, 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 to act on your faith. I wanna help you be part of God's great mission in this world, his mission to redeem and transform a broken world. After all, you were created for this. You were made ultimately to be this catalyst, this component in our world that initiates change and transformation and redemption in our world. So so how do we do that? You can do that in in the church, inside the church and in outside the church. You know, being a church without walls 
starts with being a church that doesn't put up walls to keep people out. We don't want to put, put up walls to keep people out. You can put your faith into action and honestly make an eternal impact in so many ways just right here. We have, we have people serving with our kids, helping them feel loved and helping them experience the presence of God, helping them take the word of God and apply it to their lives. Just through our Calvary kids on Sundays and our kids and teen groups on Wednesdays, we have close to 100 kids that come here every week. Man, what an opportunity to affect the life of a child, that next generation. Or, 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 or you can change the perception of church for those walking through these doors for the first time. You know, one of the most common responses people have when they attend a church for the very first time is that it doesn't feel welcoming, that, that uh, people don't seem to be that friendly. I'm so thankful that that's not said about Calvary, and it's because we have teams of people every Sunday who are working really hard to make sure that every person that walks through the doors feel welcomed. People serving in the cafe and the connection center, people greeting folks at the door. Our guest service teams aren't about pacifying people who come to church. They are here to help people know that from the moment they walk through the doors, that they are loved, that they are welcomed, that, that they are welcomed here. On top of that, there are, there are so many that work behind the scenes, even right now with our production team and our worship team, to, to cultivate the presence of God and the word of God for hundreds of people every Sunday, online, in person. And these are just a few of the many ways that we can put our faith into action right here at Calvary. Without adding any more things to your schedule, being part of the movement God has set in motion right here in, in Westmoreland County, in the Norwin area. We want to tear down walls so that everyone who comes to Calvary, young and old, rich and poor, those that are married, who have families, those who are single, we want to remove every wall that might keep anyone from experiencing the love and the grace of Jesus. That demands that we collectively put our faith into action. You can actually see, you know, all these opportunities. If you're like, man, I want to put my faith into action. I want to do something with that. If you go to connect.calvaryerwin.com and click join a team or on the, on the church center app, click, click serve, you can see all these opportunities. These aren't opportunities just to say, hey, you need to do something. Like, hey, we just need more people to serve. No, 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 no. We wanna give you opportunity to put your faith into action. And, and here's the deal, as the worship team comes this morning, it's not just here at Calvary. You can put your faith into action by stepping out to serve in our community. Did you know that? Like, serving in our community is a big part of that too. You know, there are some amazing opportunities throughout this community to volunteer. Nonprofits like Beverly's Birthdays, Norton Rotary Club, or the Lions Club. You can, you can volunteer at a personal care home in the area or, or with our school district. There are so many ways that you can serve and affect change and make a difference. You might be like, well, those are outside the church. Those are kind of like secular. I don't believe that. I believe that those can be just as spiritual as serving in the church. God wants us to leave this unmistakable fingerprint. We are called to take our faith the faith that we hold on to and act upon it. Because the unmistakable trait of a follower of Jesus isn't the faith we hold to, it's the faith we practice. And my question to you this morning is this, what are you doing with your faith? How are you acting in your faith? Now, some of you, it's about, hey, stepping out and saying, I need to serve, whether it's here at Calvary or, or maybe your, your kid's baseball team or, or, or maybe it's your, your, your kid's activity or cheer team, like may, maybe that's what it is. I need to serve, I need to do something with my faith. Maybe for you, it's to remind you that, man, God has given me this faith. I'm facing some mountains today and I need to overcome them. 
and God's given me what I need to act upon it, to press on, to not give up, to persevere. For others of you this morning, you're receiving the seeds of faith you've never acted upon. What do I mean by that? That's no like weird or, or maybe hypothetical or abstract. Here's what I mean. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to a broken world. He didn't just come to start a religion. He didn't just come so that we had something to do on Sunday or Christmas or Easter. He didn't come for that. He came for a broken world. Why? To redeem it, to transform it, to restore it. And what, what's broken it? Sin. Sin are the mistakes we make, the things we do against God, the things that we do we know we shouldn't do, the things that we feel ashamed of, the things we feel guilty about. Sin has broken the world, it's ruined the world, it's ruined your life, it's ruined my life, it's ruined our families. Sin is the problem of our society. And Jesus came to transform the problem of sin. So he went to the cross and he died as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. But he conquered it because he rose again three days later. He walked out of that grave. And today, if you're here in person watching online, you have the opportunity to act upon that faith, the seed of that faith, that Jesus loves you, he can forgive you and redeem you, and no matter what you've walked through, no matter what your history looks like, no matter what your past it consists of, that Jesus can transform you. That's the faith. And, and in a minute, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to act upon that faith. And, and in acting upon the faith, we're not gonna embarrass you. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna ask you, if you wanna say, today, I wanna act upon that faith. I want to begin following Jesus. I want to live my life in a way that honors him. I want to live my way, life in a way that represents him, it, it, pursuing his purpose, accepting his forgiveness. If that's the faith that you want to receive, I'm going to ask you to reach your hand toward heaven in a moment. If you could bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness and goodness. I thank you for your grace. And Jesus, I pray for those that are here or watching online that don't know you, that have never taken a step of faith to say, I wanna follow Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, you begin to draw them today. Give them the courage and the strength, the boldness to take that step and to begin an amazing journey of following you, of pursuing your purpose, of experiencing your forgiveness and redemption. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here and you'd say, Nick, I've never taken that step or I took that step a long time ago. Man, I've walked away from it. I'm not following God's purpose. I, I've, I've, I've forgotten his forgiveness. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna ask you on the count of three just to reach your hand toward heaven. Why, why do we do that? It's not something magic. No, it's an act of your will. It's an action to that faith to say, you know what? I'm gonna take that step right now. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward or anything like that. I'm just gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven and then we're gonna pray a prayer together as you make that confession, as you make that statement yourself. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. One, two. Those watching online, the warming shelter, if that's you, three. Would you just reach your hand toward heaven this morning? Amen, amen. Anyone else this morning? Amen, amen. You can put your hands down. And as we pray, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I'm gonna lead you in it. And my hope is this is the first of many prayers you pray. And all prayers is a conversation with God. That's what I wanna lead you in. And have those conversations. Share what's good and bad and ugly in your life. That's all prayer is. He just wants to be part of your life. Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me just as I am. With all my brokenness, with all my fallenness, with all my mistakes. 
today I accept your forgiveness. I commit to live for your purposes. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, man, the angels in heaven rejoice because you've taken a step of faith. You've acted upon your faith. And I wanna encourage you, don't stop there. One action, one step leads to another. It's a journey. Stop by the Connection Center. We have some information to help you. Or if you just wanna go online, go to connect.calvaryrowan.com, click committing my life to Jesus. And we have some digital resources you can do that way. We just wanna help you and assist you and equip you to follow him the rest of your life. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.